Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Cross Wires. It's James here, and today we're going to be getting out our controllers, we're getting our keyboards, we're getting our mouse, we're going to be talking a little bit about gaming. Particularly, we're going to be talking a little bit about gaming news, you know, the goings on inside the games industry, as well as maybe looking at the quality of games and, you know, things that maybe we don't think about when we go and download that latest game or buy those very expensive points for a certain game. But my guest this week is, well, his data is traveling quite a way to get here. And in fact, this guest holds the record for the longest time difference uh, at this point in our recording history. Would you all please welcome Matthew Bliss to the show? Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for coming. And this is another, you know, I cannot say enough about how in a previous episode, you know, we talked to Ariel about how important a podcast community is. Well, this is another example of getting a guest swap through that podcaster community. So Matthew, thank you. Before we jump into our discussion, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? And of course, get your plugs in because you are a podcaster yourself and we want to make sure we're promoting your show. Indeed. That's the, uh, the conceit of every guest spot, right? That we have to have something to promote. Um, but in this case, I'm hoping to come on as a subject matter expert because my podcast is called The Dead Drop. And if you're searching for it, it's The Dead Drop 10-Minute Video Game News because it is precisely that. Uh, twice a week, I will release an episode that is always going to be under 10 minutes long. And I try to cover as much of the gaming news in the world as possible. Uh, I try not to stick to a consumer perspective. I try to get everything covered so that the game developer all the way down to the person trying to buy a game for uh, playing whenever they want to can get covered by the news that I that I report on. Now, admittedly, I'm, I'm not covering exclusives and creating news here, but the prime directive of my podcast is to try and save people a bit of time. You know, there's a lot of articles out there that they have word limits, you know, they have to hit a certain cap for SEO and get all those that information in so that they can be good and searchable. But I like to ferret out that one sentence that is the actual news and unpack it a bit, or even take the opportunity to point out where something isn't actually news and probably just speculation. And if there's anyone listening who is familiar with the gaming journalism industry, Kotaku is probably the worst at that. But, uh, that can be a discussion for another time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it is a valid, it's an absolutely valid discussion because, you know, especially as we stand right now, when we look at a certain bird platform and what they're doing in terms of truth, it really starts to, you know, the validity of journalism and the, the quality of journalism. You know, it's something I've seen in the Mac space as well. Mm -hmm. So many Mac sites that are, in some cases, literally just copy-pasting and editing a few words of another site's article or reporting, hey, as reported by Mac Observer, as reported by Apple Insider, as reported by some guy off the street. That's it. And look, no one is immune to it. In fact, I very early on in the inception of this podcast, that leapt out to me straight away. Because I look at a few articles and I go, oh, wait a minute. They've said Video Games Chronicle has reported on this or Bloomberg has reported that as a source for their article, which is great for them. means that they're doing the right thing and their due diligence and saying where they got their information from. But for me, covering that in the podcast, as you can imagine, having only 10 minutes, I can only say so many things. 
And if I'm sitting there saying, and uh, Video Games Chronicle picked this up from Eurogamer, who also picked it up from Bloomberg, you know, that kind of transparency, it's not really efficient for the listener. What I try to do is include all of the articles that I reference if I have to directly, mm. I put them into the show notes so that anyone listening can click on those and jump in and uh, do some exploring and speculation for themselves if they want to. Absolutely. I just have interest because one editing uh, charging state is our EV podcast, uh, which we do with Alex from the interface. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to do is add the links into the chapter marks because it gives people something to do. It's really good for charging status because actually most of the articles we're covering are coming from the interface. So we have the source for Alex's, you know, we're passing saying, oh, as reported by Alex at the interface. I mean, Alex's article will reference the source and it can, it does save a lot of time. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You can't always say, oh, well, someone said and someone said, yeah. Let's start out with sort of how video game news has maybe changed a bit. Because, you know, I remember back in the day uh, when I was much younger and when computers were much simpler. If I wanted to hear about a new game coming out, I would have to wait for that month's edition of the gaming mag or the computer mag that I got from my news agents. You know, so in my case, I'd be waiting for one Amiga to come out. And that's typically where I would find my games news. Or I would be at the game shop and see, oh, the new Zool, Zool 2's come out. Let's have a look at that. And I wouldn't have that on hand information, you know, and it, it kind of goes back to that whole has connectivity that technology gives us improved game journalism or yeah what's your what's your thoughts on that and i'm rambling a little bit so i do apologize okay look what i say in response is probably going to be a bit of a ramble too because there's so much of of the games journalism industry at the moment which is kind of on fire like you have your your one person influences there are people backed by big media companies uh at the stage we're in Looking at a recession in the US, at least, there's a lot of games journal journalism teams that are being fired en masse, uh, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, what that tells you about, you know, the status of games journalism in general is that it's kind of a luxury, at least in the eyes of people who control the money. But I think that we're getting to a, straight, a stage of critical mass where it's going to be a problem for people because the, the biggest game of the hour, actually, I should say for probably the last year has been God of War Ragnarok mm. by Santa Monica Studios. Huge game, highly anticipated. The news cycle on that is ridiculous. It was almost as ridiculous as Elden Ring that came out from Konami a little while ago, from FromSoft, I should say. Because every single day, there is something brand new, and every media company is trying to pull out every single detail and blast that, that out into an article. Which is crazy. You know, God of War Ragnarok has 70 accessibility features. God of War Ragnarok has been confirmed. Don't worry, it will be coming out on this particular date. There just happens to be a blood moon on the day that God of War Ragnarok is coming out. But don't worry, it's still coming out, even if there's no blood moon. Like, you know, there's, there's so many small details that they just keep iterating and iterating on that cycle, which you'd look at it and think, okay, I can just cruise past the fluff, read the headlines. It's perfectly fine. But in the case of God of War Ragnarok, the bird social media site that you were referring to earlier, <laughs> uh, that caused a lot of issues for Corey Barlog, who is the director of the game. 
and for the developers because there was a very toxic movement a few weeks ago where they were asking for information, for confirmations about the game's release, about trailers and content, to the point where people were sending lewd images to people on the development team in response to not getting what they want. Now, what that tells me specifically, yeah, absolutely. You listening, you can't see the face that our illustrious host here is sporting, but it, it speaks closely to what I'm I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. not on, not on. Yeah, what what the rocks is what I would say in response to that. It's that's yeah, it's the worst of social media. Yeah, and it's because the cycle is so quick now. Because when you get something out there, people latch onto it. It takes maybe you know half an hour, an hour before thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have access to it, make their own inferences, create their own content with those inferences, and misinform audiences. They start to rally people in their confirmed biased circles. And all of a sudden you have a rallying cry of let's send, I keep wanting to go for the the superlative there, but let's keep with the lewd images to the development team because they think that's the right thing to do because groupthink tells them, yeah, let's do that. They have to get that, which is absolutely not true. And I think how fast that cycle has become is what is pushing that forward a little bit. And dare I say, fellow Australian Alana Pierce, who works as a writer for Santa Monica Studios, she talks very openly about this stuff as well. And, you know, as a female in the gaming industry, she would get enough. But the fact that she's attached to this project too is a bit of something a little bit extra. So, and, and being a big influencer in space, no one's immune to this. It's really crazy. And it's in- incredible that people think that a, a single dev on a game the size of that from a studio of that size with a publisher of that size is going to be able to influence the game's development and the decisions that are made. Chances are half of these people don't even, I wouldn't say don't even know, but they don't have the the ability to say, oh yes, let's reverse this decision. No, it's a decision that's been made collaboratively. Well, maybe not collaboratively. Maybe it's been made for profit reasons by the publisher, you know, and, Mm. Or political reasons. Because isn't one of the latest Sims games allowing you to use... Pro- I might have got this wrong, and I do apologise to anyone anyone if I get this wrong, but allowing you to use pronouns. And there's this whole thing saying, no, how dare they indoctrinate our children in pronouns? Like, it's a video game. And, uh, you, you, I mean, I don't want to get too political about this, but you already use pronouns. Yeah, that, that's a there's there's a, a sect of the gaming audience that likes things to be what they are, but once they are what they are, they cannot change. Which is also very contrary to an audience which is subject subject to change constantly, like your Fortnites, where mm. at its inception, before the Fortnite we know today, it was a survival co-op game, and now it's not even with the building mechanic that it was originally incepted with too. Now it's literally just a shooty game with 20 different things that you can do on top of it. I remember Fortnite being announced, and people might find this hard to believe, at an Apple event. Amazing. (laughs) Yes. Like, when you think about what's going on right now, or has been going on with Epic Games and Apple, I, I haven't decided on a side on that yet. I will say this. 
Epic Games CEO could have probably acted a little bit more maturely about a few things. That, that was a very interesting arc. I think the true motive there was opening up App Store guidelines and the whole Fortnite 1980-84 video thing was just the propaganda that propped it up, I think. I, I, I agree. Look, you know, it's interesting because iOS has become, a, you know, a really strong player in the casual games space. Yeah, definitely. In some ways, I mean, we, we, can, we can quickly circle to this. As a, have you noticed that there's a definite shift to mobile, particularly iOS, whereas my experience has been that Nintendo have historically held the casual games crown but it seems now that mobile's taking that over and I, I always wonder why well i know why but it seems a shame that nintendo aren't jumping on that i would love to see more nintendo games for mobile rather than just things like you know uh super mario run or mario kart tour nice little token games but i'd love to be able to play some you know proper old school Nintendo games, you know, NES games legitimately on my iPad. Well, look, this is a complex one too, but Nintendo, they're a company that does things different, right? They don't follow the industry. They are kind of the Apple of things where they sell the hardware because they want to optimize the experience. But the interesting thing that you're referring to there, I'd say, is the fact that the Nintendo Switch hasn't been updated for a very long time. So there are a lot of phones out there that could probably run Bayonetta 3 much better than the Switch. And that's a AAA title coming out or has come out for the console already. And people are saying the frame rates are in the toilet, that it doesn't behave well. It's a very charismatic, creative game, but the performance is not up to standard. Because from a hardware level, the Switch is still on a really, in relative terms, a very old nvidia tegra chip it's it's on paper it's a garbage device yeah but they they love to swirl that cycle around it as well now this is where we start to get into news boffin territory and you might have to tell me to stop because no, no, as you it. read the news you conspire you conspire a lot and get your own opinions <laughs> but the recent lapsus hacks that was that was responsible for uh the gta rockstar leak the NVIDIA GeForce Now leak that had a bunch of games for PC in it. There was also, sorry, that was PlayStation games for PC that have since been released. So those games have kind of been confirmed. Uh, but there was another one that came out a couple of weeks after that as a hack too. And it was some extra DLSS, like um, programming language information around the new chipset for the potential next Nintendo console. And people speculated automatically, Nintendo Switch 2, the console is coming soon. Nintendo Switch Pro, it's coming soon. But of course, the OLED version had been announced recently and it came out. There was no Pro, there was no HD, there was no upgraded hardware. It was just an improved screen and better LED backlighting so you can watch it when you're sitting in the sun. That's pretty much it. Oh, and an Ethernet port on the dock. That was true. The only, the only other thing. Yeah. So you have to sit next to your, your Wi-Fi router unless you've got spectacular internet and awesome Wi-Fi. But the preservation and the way that they hold on to the console development cycle 
the way they do, it's they're starting to get left in the dust a little bit because Valve has entered that market now. They have created the Steam Deck and mobile gaming isn't for mobile phones anymore. Now it's starting to open up on other consoles in a mobile format, which you don't need phones for. And that is just, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon now. And you've got a lot of other, you know, you've got things like the Iron Eo Next, which I know LTT have covered a bit. And look, you know, we've been really, I, I don't even know if we've mentioned it, our, our long-term plan for the streaming side of Crosswise, which is Jay's old, you know, sort of Twitch channel, which we've m- morphed and we're going to rebrand into uh, Crosswires Live. Um, our plan is really simple. We don't really want to have hulking gaming PCs. The type of games we're going to be playing don't require an RTX 4090, and plus my power bill won't support an RTX 4090. Well, the cables won't even support the 4090s. <laughs> <laughs> it just explodes in a ball of fire. But anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't want a fire hazard in my house, thanks very much. I've, I've got enough of those. Um, but we are going to be buying, when budget allows, a Steam, uh, a Steam Deck each, and that's going to go into our capture um, setups. My idea being that that can be our dedicated gaming machine, but also we could take it with us. You know, we can go, you know, if I was, I'm going up to London to, uh, today, in fact, um, to go and meet a bunch of other podcasters. Well, you know, if I wanted to carry on my game of, uh, say, Minecraft, well, Minecraft might be an interesting one. I don't know how that's going to work on me. Ooh, yeah, how are you going to be able to play? This is the big question. This is the one that mobile gaming needs to answer somehow. Mm. The idea of being of internet connectivity on your mobile device when you're in the tunnel on the bus, yeah, mobile data isn't present. How do you do it? Very good question. It's an interesting concept for a bunch of devices being released that are handheld now from Logitech and from Razer. There are cloud gaming mobile devices, which are just cloud. So internet is required for those. How mobile can they really be? Right. You know, I mean, even here in the UK, yeah, we've got 5G coverage. I, I'm very fortunate to live in a town that has 5G coverage, but I get on the train and as I start heading towards London, passing through the New Forest, I, I don't even get 2G. There are times I have no signal at all on that journey uh, because, you know, it's going through this protected new forest uh, and a load of nimbyism who, you know, there could be 5G on that route, but because people don't want the mast in their back garden or backyard, mm. then there isn't. But that's a whole different discussion. My question more about the Minecraft one was, well, hold, yeah, you could probably run the Java edition, but what about the Bedrock edition? Because that isn't available on Linux. And that one might be one you have to do for like, um, is it xCloud, Microsoft's game streaming technology? Potentially, but the the whole premise of the Steam Deck was do whatever you want with it. We're going to give you the Steam OS that's based on Linux, but you guys do whatever you like. Oh, yeah. So people are walking around with Nintendo Switches running their, I've forgotten what they're called now, reusing emulators and uh, stuff like that. But you could also load up Windows and there's even a, a Linux-based cloud compiler for the Epic Game Store and Game Pass. And those two work just on on Linux, by the way, because there's no Linux app natively for those. So they're just a flat pack you can download and get on your Linux machine, no problem. But now they've been adapted for the Steam Deck as well. Okay. It depends on how the code base is compatible in an emulated software space, but there's the potential there for you to load up whatever you like. 
But that's true. I saw some great, I mean, we are, you know, we're talking a little bit about this whole mobile game. I saw some great videos on Emudeck, which is a way to run, you know, RetroArch and all sorts of other great uh, emulation platforms. I don't currently have, uh, you know, a retro gaming emulation setup because my Raspberry Pi is actually currently down there acting as my DNS and DHCP server because that was more valuable to me. But the concept to be able to have my old Amiga games on a handheld device, as well as, you know, reasonable, you know, reasonably modern games. I, you know, I guess it would, no, but Steam Deck would play AAAs, just not necessarily at 4K, and it doesn't need to play them at 4K because it's not a 4K screen. So there's, there's some advantages. I think it's down resed 1080 to 720 or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's reduced, but there is the capacity to connect it to an external screen, which, you know, may require the dock to, exploit it to its full potential but from what i understand and i will absolutely be testing this when i get one is because it's just a USB-C compliant you can you don't have to use their dock you can use any USB-C hub i have one with a hdmi output uh, output as well as ethernet all that good stuff that's what i'll be using that'll go into a hdmi switcher which will then come into my little other media capture box and, you know, that'll get displayed upon this monitor here as my my gaming screen. That's kind of our plan. Sounds good. It, it's, it's incredible. But even around, you know, even around the Steam Deck, I've seen articles saying, Steam Deck 2's coming, don't buy Steam Deck. I've seen that too. And look, everybody's waiting for the next one, right? I mean, at the end of any console's life cycle, you're like, okay, I have to make a decision. Do I buy the PS4? Or do I wait a couple of years and buy the PS5? Now, that would be a problem for them because, you know, no right to repair. The console is what it is. There's no way for you to change the parts except maybe swapping out the hard drive to expand that storage. But the Steam Deck is different. Again, they have come out and said, look, there's things you probably shouldn't do to this thing. We're going to tell you the things that will void your warranty, the things that... If you do this, it will break it. And even the design of the Steam Deck interior itself tries to push you in the right direction with how you upgrade it. But there's a whole community out there that has been putting, you know, terabytes of SSD storage in there, M2 drive converters. I think there was even a story of a bloke who wired his Steam Deck to use a 3080 on an external dock. Like one of those ones you get for the for the Mac Pro or something. He hooked it in. It's grand. Worked. It took a bit of work, but you know, he got that thing wired in there. I love that. And and Valve even has Steam Deck repair sites available, like on the web or authorized repairers. Look, all that is to say, don't buy the Steam Deck now. Wait for the Steam Deck too. I don't think there's going to be any marginal difference really, except they'll try to get some better hardware for it, but it's not going to be a switch situation, you know? No, absolutely not. And, but it, it highlights that sort of, that news cycle, that, that rumor mill of gaming news. And it must be incredibly disheartening for game devs to see, uh, you know, particularly people working on a particular aspect of a game when it's picked apart and attacked. I think in our modern culture of social media, being faceless, as it were, <laughs> people don't realise that these are human beings. You know, look, me and you sat here recording this podcast. We're both podcasters, and you know, we 
I, you know, from listening to your content, and I would hope that comes over from mine, we we both take a certain pride in our production values, making sure that our shows show sounds great, except when I fluff my lines. Um, but you know what? But we care. Yeah. Something that I really want to sort of highlight is. Remember, these are people who, this is their livelihood, this is their passion. This isn't just something they do, oh, I'm going to make this character design and, and I don't care how it looks. No, people craft. Um, I don't, have you ever seen um, a series, and it's a random one, it was a book first, and then it got made into a TV series, which I haven't seen streaming recently. It was on Amazon Prime, J-Pod. No, I haven't heard of that. I will link it in the show notes, but it was, it's a story of a, of a guy who worked in a game dev studio and everyone with the surname Jay got put into one development pod and they're working on this game. New manager comes in and he wants to turn it into a game that his son would want because he's trying to reconnect with his son. And it leads to all these disastrous, you know, game development decisions. And there's all sorts of side, you know, side stories. I can highly recommend it. It is really good. I, I will, I'll put a link in, but the, the point I'm making is I think we need to remember the human side of the people who work on these games. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. There are some. How to put this in a way that's not going to get me sued? Um, so there are some characters in the game industry. Yes, I think, and, and always have been. You know, and and characters in a good way. You know, I I think of you know bubbly characters. You know, in a, in a positive character way. Like you know, we had him on the show, Stu Cambridge of Sensible Software back in the day. You know, Stu's an absolute pleasure to talk to, and you know, this is a guy that whose character I killed over and over and over in Cannon Fodder. You know, and Mike Daly, uh, Mike Dal, uh, Daly or Daly, um, sorry, Mike, if you're listening, um, one of the guys, you know, we talked about GTA and Rockstar. Well, Mike was one of the guys involved in Lemmings, which was a DMA design game. DMA design for those you don't know went on to be Rockstar. Yeah, there's a great no clip documentary that those lads did on that as well. Great history. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The only equivalency I can make immediately is to CrossFit, where as an industry, like as a exercise regimen, you go to a studio, you do the exercises, great. It's got some set programs you do, you lift some stuff, good time. There's also another extra component to that where the athletes that make it to the cross- CrossFit Games, they become personalities in the space. And then all of a sudden, these opportunities start to come up for them. They get promoted to this area of the space. All of a sudden, the same personalities are shuffling through the crossfit games every year everyone loves to watch it but is it a, is it a game for game's sake video games is exactly the same you have people of incredibly ill repute they can come back into favor just as quickly as they can fade out of it one of the people who is notably immune that i reported on an episode today actually is hideo kojima ah yes mr metal gear yes mr metal gear who was uh, ousted Apparently, that's still unconfirmed by Konami at this stage, but, you know, kind of frozen and then ousted from Konami at large after creating massive titles that won the internet and the world over. And now he's out there as an independent studio owner who's creating these games like Death Stranding and other compelling titles like that. And he's fending off acquisition requests all over the place because he wants to stay independent. He wants to be able to realize his vision lest we have another PT debacle. Um, and then you have your Randy Pitchfords, who, you know, head up 
uh, I think it was Gearbox, responsible for Borderlands and a bunch of massive games, then leaves a USB stick with child pornography on it it, at medieval times, and he's discovered to be not a great person at the end of that. But then you have the purely wholesome people who are in it for the best of what you could... Like, they're in it for the people. They're in it for the community to create games that people want. The other unfortunate side of that is the the sword of Damocles hanging over that holds onto the money that makes decisions about things like, like HBO Max Discovery cutting Catwoman the TV series because it's a tax write-off. Like, it's ridiculous. The Embracer Group. Sorry, I should stick to video games for this, but... No, it's uh, okay. The, it's all good. The, the Embracer Group, they purchased three big studios. One of them was... Uh, I'm going to get this wrong, I think, because they've both been in the news, but Idos Montreal was a studio purchased. They spent two months renaming and rebranding this thing to Anoma. It was going to be a mobile gaming development studio. Last week, axed. They completely closed the studio, spread them around the other studios in the Embracer group because they're moving away from mobile gaming, funnily enough, and they want to focus on PC gaming. And then this week, we hear about a new Deus Ex in development after rumors asking for it and then being quashed because why would they make another Deus Ex even though they own the property? Like, this is all the confusing speculative tornado that you get when you look at the news the way I do. But, you know, you've got so many personalities out there. The, the key, if we're looking for practical takeaways for the faithful listener that's uh, listening to this episode, it's, it's to find the people that you trust yeah. that reflect you as a gamer and l- listen to them, but also use your own judgment for any of these things coming out because, you know, the news articles don't tell you everything Ultimately, the game experience will, being able to play it. But you can trust everybody and you can't. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Uh, but it's, it's the people behind the studios too. The whole Activision Blizzard unionization and the, the lawsuits. That put the whole leadership front of mind for that. Big problems. Massive amounts of sexism and harassment in the workplace. But people boy- boycotting the games by not buying them put the developers who weren't at fault for this Mm-hmm. out of pocket because, you know, it doesn't pay their their salaries if they don't purchase the game and it doesn't do well. It's like a weird catch-22 that probably leaves people frustrated and sending lewd pictures to development teams as a way to <laughs> try and circumvent that. I can buy my game if I can send pictures of my junk to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember that being a payment method that I would certainly accept. And you, you need some only OnlyFans, I think. Oh, that's that's the oh, key. Crosswise OnlyFans. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's okay. Thanks. That's, that's fine. No, nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Trust me, nobody wants to see that. But it, you know, you just remind me as well of, of, of maybe pre where we are now. But I remember when uh, Westwood Studios, who you know. Uh, June 2000, Command Command and Conquer. When was the last time we had a good Command and Conquer game? But they got bought by EA. And then what happened to Command and Conquer? It Yeah. And then look, there's there's um the whole studio persona for this stuff too, right? Like it's not just the people. You know, if Bungie makes it, odds are people are going to love it because there's Bungie fans. If EA makes it, all, the su- all of a sudden all the jokes about microtransactions and... Uh, you know, FIFA propping up the entire economy, NFTs 
you know, all that conversation starts coming out. Ubisoft as well kind of falls into that camp these days. Absolutely. You know what? Let, let's talk about the way that games have changed from being a pay once, pay a, and pay, you know, usually a fair price. Now, you know, I still... I remember back when I was growing up when Nintendo, Super Nintendo games were about 70, 80 pounds for a new game. And even now, you know, Animal Crossing has been out, what? Animal Crossing New Horizons has been out a couple of years now. It's still 50 pounds mm. brand new, unless you're lucky enough to get it second hand. And this is, maybe, this is me personally speaking. I would rather pay for a game and know that I've paid a fair price and I've got all the features that the developers of that game intended for me to have. Whereas, you know, I've played a bit of PUBG on iPad. I've played um, Call of Duty Mobile, is it? Um, yep. And again, the whole microtransactions thing. And I, I look, I really want to get someone on the show to help understand the whole concept of blockchain and NFTs. At the moment, I'm pretty much you NFTs, but I, because I don't understand them, I, I don't think my opinion is going to change, but I don't also want to make a, you know, blanket statement NFTs and uh, a bad, and also to not necessarily equate NFTs with a whole of blockchain. Cause I think blockchain itself is, is very, is a good thing. But what do you think if we look at the sort of maybe try and look at the quality of what's coming out and this whole, this whole thing of microtransactions and mm-hmm. I think I use the term pre-show shovelware. And yeah. What's your thoughts on sort of where we stand with the quality of releases? Yeah, look, this is a troubling time. Back in the day, you had a game, you bought it. The game was in the cartridge or it was on the disc. Nothing changed with it. It wasn't about, well, I mean, it was about compatibility with your system, but there wasn't going to be a way that you couldn't play it. And even today, there is a way for you to get like an Amiga cartridge or something, stick it in a thing and you can make it work. Right. Whereas... You know, EA was the last to list off a massive list of games that had online components that are completely unplayable because they're turning off the servers. And some of these can be as young as two or three years old. That's part of the problem with paying for games. Let's not even talk about Google Stadia, which was, yeah, the first of the cloud gaming posturing, you know, software systems from Google, where they did their regular thing. They created something, showed off to everybody, waited till everybody caught up and then killed it and moved the tech into somewhere else, <laughs> which is what they want to do. I was going to say, uh, why was anyone surprised if that happened with a Google product? It's, you know. I think part of the reason for its death was that people were incredibly wary. Mm. But it was a good bit of publicity for games that have and studios that have come out and done deals with Google and said, hey, don't worry. You six players that had Cyberpunk 2077 on your Stadia account with 600 hours, apparently, we can move those into a state where you can shift it to another platform. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, that's the nice kind of warm fuzzies that you get in some of the news stories. But, you know, the whole shovelware thing, there are so many things that you pay for that become completely invalidated and useless. Uh, Even recently, Paragon made its way back into the news because it's being revived at a Korean studio, Paragon and Battleborn and a bunch of other MOBAs that were trying to do what Overwatch ended up doing incredibly well, all of those disappeared. And 
by the end of it, you could pay five or $10 for the game on a disc, but ultimately it was an entirely online experience. So what you paid for is just gone. And there's no way for you to enjoy it anymore. But the other perspective on those kinds of things, as you've already said, is that the development teams that made it, there was time and money that went into this thing. You know, the love of the people who enjoyed the game or even those that didn't, you know, there's, there's a reason to pay money for these things. And that's the other side of the culture too. The free to play, you know, get your massive audience and then throw microtransactions in front of them. And that's how you make your money. And microtransactions are in a very, very difficult space at the moment. None more so than because countries in Europe and potentially, you know, the governing bodies in the EU are posturing very strongly after studies to try and eliminate microtransactions entirely, probably more on the side of loot boxes than things that would just be cosmetic uh, because of the gambling component, even though they were asked to make the probabilities live in games where uh, you would be picking between different, different boxes, for example, like in Overwatch, you'll have a purple or a gold or a blue. They'll tell you the probabilities of getting certain rarities of item from any of those boxes. They have to make that prominent. But even so, the gambling component of that is something that they can't avoid. But yeah, and it's, look, it's a really interesting premise because they get their money anyway. But how, what, how does that impact the player who is likely between the ages of 12 and 18? How does that impact their idea of value? Mm. But I'm going to stop that there because that could be a very interesting Gen Z discussion about consumerism in its entirety. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this, though. I will say this. I personally never don't have a problem with the concept of a you know um, microtransaction in-app purchase to unlock something, um, you know, extra content that was never in the original, you know, the game. You know, like uh, I have no problem with DLC. I bought, but for example, uh, well, I didn't buy a friend of mine very kindly bought me the Breath of the Wild DLC. Um, yes, I bought the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack. Not necessarily, I'll be really honest, not necessarily for the extra Mario Kart courses, but that was definitely a thing. Do you know why I bought it? GoldenEye. Oh, so you're a recent purchaser, are you? Yeah. Okay. Literally the last month, uh, um, yeah, October. We actually purchased it in October. I uh, bought a family plan and a few, you know, me and Jay and uh, my nephew are, are sharing that. And I'm really excited about because I never got to play GoldenEye growing up because I've said this we weren't we weren't allowed a console. We had we had an, uh, our Amiga and we had our PC. So my gaming past is a lot of point and click. You know, I grew up with things like Day of the Tentacle. Um, you know, all those uh, Simon the Sorcerer and a lot of PC gaming. Hence why I mentioned Command and Conquer. Mm-hmm. But I have no problem paying for extra content. What I struggle with is games where you either have to wait 10 hours for your tokens to rebuild so you can do another race, yep. or you pay to get tokens, or you pay to be, you know, to be able to upgrade your car in certain racing games so that you even have a chance of winning a race. That, to me... I don't like that. And I'm sure there are people that don't mind it, but you do make a good point. You know, I, I struggle a lot with the concept of forcing younger players 
to part with their money or, <laughs> let's be really honest, in most cases, to go and ask mum and dad for that money. Yep. Give us your credit card number, dad. I need uh, need some V-Bucks <laughs> or something. <laughs> I can actually tell really good. So this this was in the mid-noughties, so late noughties. So I think maybe like 2000, yeah, 2009. And I was working for a bank. Uh, I won't name which one, um, but for a big bank um, here in the UK. And I was on customer support and I was getting trained on um, my, my original sort of field was savings accounts, but I was getting cross-trained on bank accounts, you know, current accounts or for our American listeners, checking accounts. And, you know, obviously part of that involved debit card transactions. And I remember, you know, in training, having a phone call, having one come through where, uh, and it was back in the days of Xbox Live Arcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Xbox Live. And this child had run up something like £700 on mummy's debit card. Yep. Because they just put it in. And she said, oh, I didn't think it was going to charge me. I'm thinking, okay. And I, I said, look, I really understand. I know how difficult that is. Let me see what I can do. And I thought I'd put the call on hold. I genuinely did. And I went to my supervisor with my headset still on. That was my other mistake. I said, hey, you know, I was, I was fine. I said, I've got this mom. She's got, you know, she's really struggling. Can we do anything to help her? And my colleague said, no, the stupid effing B, B should have watched her debit card. Well, I put my headset back on and I said, hi, Mrs. Jones. I'm re-. She said, I just heard of that. I'm like, oh. Uh, okay. I genuinely thought I put you on hold. I am so sorry. And I looked at my colleague and just gave her a sort of, you got me in trouble sort of look. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but that, that's my, but it does happen. And I think, oh, yeah, yeah it, it's really scary. I mean, I want to talk a little because uh, my nephew, for example, um, my sister has asked me to get my nephew Robux for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I did last year, but over this last year, I've heard a lot of very disturbing things about things that happen on Roblox. Yep. And it makes me question whether or not I want to support that platform. But I then have that real difficult juggling act. Do I want to upset my nephew or do I want to stand firm and say, no, I don't want to support this platform? And I've had a bit of a conversation with my mum about it and said, look, I'm really not sure how I feel about this because she re- relayed the request. Do we have a, Do we have a danger of open platforms like Roblox. I mean, I, I was, I was going to say Minecraft, but Minecraft's maybe a little bit different because you have to, you choose to be on certain servers or certain realms. But yeah, I think, I think you probably know where I'm getting at here, but what, yes. what's the dangers in those sort of games? Yeah. So look, content moderation is always going to be the biggest thing. Money is the next biggest thing. And they often care about the money more so than the moderation. But it's a very big question. Uh, we're definitely not at the peak of where it could become a problem. I think the... Look, it, it's swimming in my head at the moment. All the things. I'm just going to spit some stuff at you. So, Go for it. Go for it. Um, Roblox, they have recently invested in blockchain quite a bit to the point where they've done deals with specific companies about providing NFT-enabled promotions of products Spotify has done this too, actually, to some degree. And that requires people to invest in the blockchain, give over their money to a volatile, intangible product to be able to participate in something that they have. Mm. Even Square Enix announced an art-based symbiogenesis, I think they called it. It's NFT-based 
game. Uh, so the blockchain component feeding into that, that should be a red flag for anyone in the gaming industry where to answer your, your, your query from before about NFTs, still a big no-no. Like no one has done that right or well. No one's on board with it in the games industry as yet. So that should be red flag number one. In terms of kids jumping onto these potentially unmoderated platforms to do whatever they want, that is the, the crux question that every company will ask itself and say, well, look, they have parents. They have people in their lives to educate them. How do they get access to this money? They have a dumb bee that gives them the card number that doesn't <laughs> take control of this stuff. And, you know, if they give us thousands of dollars and buy a virtual tractor, then, you know, that's their problem. They follow the terms and conditions and privacy notice and all of those legal agreements that you unambiguously agree to, which you don't as a child because you, of course, click, 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 click. Yeah, because no one, no one, no one reads terms and conditions. For, I mean, I, a prime example I remember: someone dug through the old iTunes terms and conditions, and in there it says this software must not be used uh, on devices that control nuclear power. I thought it was a line about aliens. I thought there was something about aliens in there at some point too. There might well <laughs> but yeah. be, but yeah, certainly yeah. For nuclear power, like you know, the concept of someone installing iTunes on, uh, you know, a reactor. A I, reactor. I was going to. Yeah. I was going to say Chernobyl, but let, let's not go there. I mean, you know, the idea of Anatoly Dyatlov putting his iTunes collection on on the Chernobyl computer does sound quite comedic. Look, but all you need is you two to release a new album, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Chernobyl too. <laughs> there you go. That's what happened. I mean, time, timelines be damned. That's what happened. YouTube's new album is what actually caused. That's you know. it. All right, all right, all right. Let's let's go. But yeah, um, yeah. No one reads terms and conditions. No, and and look, you're talking to someone who's a trained teacher, not currently teaching, but I have been in the classroom, and I have entertained the question from a few classmates who are obviously obsessed with Fortnite. One a little bit too smart than they should probably be, asking if I can hack something, should I do it? And it's kind of like they're asking for permission, but they know the answer already. But maybe getting at them faster and giving them the ability to make these decisions themselves would be a really great idea. Some schools do it incredibly well with digital literacy and understanding of technology. But in general, I haven't seen a curriculum that focuses on digital technologies in a way that allows parents to be supported with trying to make decisions and uh, putting controls in place to make that happen. I couldn't agree more. I think, unfortunately, our computer literacy programs and our digital literacy programs, you know, when I look at, you know, going back to my school days, you know, all of our IT lessons were on certain products. They were on certain technologies. And now, you know, I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, our kid, you know, kids these days need to be more aware of things like password management, of things like privacy. Because, you know, I'm a number of, I, I will be really honest, I'm a big advocate for the minimum age for social media actually being 18. Well, it may well be if uh, Elon Musk gets his way. Who knows? <laughs> mm. 
But and the reason I say that is uh, maybe 18 is a bit harsh, maybe 16. But the reality is as well, it's very, very easy for a parent to go and sign up their child with a fake date of birth. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, it is scary. And I, I think that's a really key thing. Resources. And he, here's a question I'll pose to you. The game dev studios, the responsible ones at least, do they have an obligation to aid in that education? You know, when we see, like, for example, um, I don't know if you have this in Australia, but in the UK, um, we have like um alcohol warnings on advertising for beer. We have gambling, you know, when the fun stop, stop campaign for gambling. Do we start, do we need that in gaming? Do we need the game devs to be more aware uh, and more proactive in being very honest about, you know, like for example, with Fortnite may cause severe addiction um, <laughs> I'm making a joke there, but yeah, no, definitely. Fortnite. I, uh, thinking back to my teaching practice days and getting my degree, I also remember being part of a internet safety conversation with leadership and teachers about the Fortnite problem. Um, so <laughs> that's definitely part and, and parlance of the conversation. But in terms of game devs taking control of it, I think it's it's at the stage of things where they're starting to have to, but they're still getting in trouble for it. Activision recently released Overwatch 2, which is another one of those games that gets released in the news cycle, piecemeals, every single little piece of, uh, you know, information around the release of that game. But they added a component to their, I think it was to the multi-factor authentication and the account creation for the game where you had to include a phone number and with their phone, phone number system that they used to, I guess, verify the state of the number, they would refuse access for people with a certain type of phone number, which in the US you can do because of the way that they manage their phones. It will be related to a prepaid account. And for this reason, they're trying to avoid people creating duplicate accounts to uh, for Smurf accounts or to, you know, do dastardly deeds, get banned and move on to the next account to continue doing the same thing that they do. Mm-hmm. But this fell on an incredibly bad launch because instead of it being a protection for people there who were doing the right thing, there was an entire player base that had prepaid phones that weren't nefarious. They just wanted access to the stuff, but they couldn't get to it. Because their policies- Because they were filtering these- Yeah, too strict. It was the same on Call of Duty as well. I can't remember which iteration of the game it was, but they recently added to to the online service and they had the same issue. So, any kind of privacy consumer protections that game developers will look at, there's also going to be, again, that sect of the audience that, that kind of rises up and says, no, not in my game, because- that ruins the experience for me. You're making this game for me. And if I get enjoyment from this by creating 12 accounts and doing hacks and aim bots and stuff so I can enjoy my game, then why can't I be allowed to do that? I think that's that will generate some of the issues that, that take place with this. Now, not with all games. No. Minecraft and Roblox would probably be exempt from this. Fortnite, not so much. But, you know, that's a different kettle of fish somehow yet again. But I think game dev studios have to do it. There has to be something in place where they talk about it and whether they can action it without 
affecting their bottom line? That's probably the biggest question that they're asking themselves at the moment. It's it's a tough one. It really is. It really is. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I mean, there are so many other things. You know, I think back and I think on, you know, when we try and make security protections too convoluted, my biggest rant is still against banks, particularly banks that do security by obscurity. Look, stop doing your own thing with like memorable character one when you're standing on your head, memorable character two when you're um, doing a Fortnite emote, uh, and then tell us all these other details. Mm-hmm. No, just use if you're going to be you know older, use username, password, and. T- Real two-factor authentication, TLTP, or, hey, how about a modern concept? Why not use WebAuthin? Why not use passkeys? But my biggest gripe against uh, against Steam is that if I want app-based two-factor, I still have to use their platform. I can't use TLTP. My password manager handles my TLTP for me. Uh, that's a decision I've made. I, I know there are risks to having my TLTP inside my password manager, but that's a risk I choose. In the same way, privacy protections sh- really need to be thought out. And uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head, not be, over, not be overcomplicated and not make assumptions about people, people's character based on maybe their geographic region, for example. Socioeconomic status. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rough one. Anyway, I, I think uh, this has been a great conversation, and I'm very aware of how late at night it is for you, or getting close to. This is this is the golden hour for gamers. This is... Oh, you're ready time. to go. You've got your prime, <laughs> en- you've got your prime energy. You've got your Mr. Mr. Beastables. Yep, I've got my, um, my gaming headset with spittle on the microphone from me <laughs> yelling at people across the world. Yes, I'm ready to go. You've, you've got you've got your LTT dot com, LTT store dot com gaming, you know, gaming mat. You've got you know all the things that you need to be a true. Sorry, I should have made absolutely RGB uh, RGB up the yin yang. Yeah, I mean, okay, I speak and I've got this my LifeX beam behind me, uh, but you know, I'm a, I'm a content creator. Um, I'll try to be, do but it. it is. I mean, it's one thing I do love is gaming systems. You know, back in my day. You put a NVIDIA Reva TNT2 into your system, put a bit of extra RAM in, and it was good enough. Yeah. These days, you know, these days earlier, you know, your power supply needs to meet the, you know, meet the output of a of a nuclear reactor <laughs> to be able to power most of the modern, modern stuff. I, it is fascinating where we're heading, though, you know, and I, I'm a big, I have real high hopes for things like the Steam Deck. I would love to see... Apple push more into gaming because their M series chips, their Apple Silicon, that stuff's incredible at the power consumption. I wish that more, I'll, I'll say it right now. I wish that, uh, that Valve would do the same work that they've done for Linux on macOS to make that. Um, is it Proton, the compatibility layer? Yes. That they're using, yeah. I wish that they would do that work for macOS, but it's not a platform they. I don't want to kill your dreams. But CPU architecture is a massive deal in game development. Now, you've talked about Proton there. That's probably the solution that any game dev studio would end up with. But Mm -hmm. what you'd really want probably is for companies to take the M series chips and use that as part of the development and, you know, get their their threading count. If they can go multi-threaded, perfect. 
they would have the best gaming systems in the world. But because there's not that market, they aren't going to make that investment. They, they know the market is in PC and console gaming. Yeah, so Apple would probably have to make their own studio, maybe buy up something. It's it's a ripe market. <laughs> well, again, the the you know the gaming media, the tech media has been Apple to buy X Y Z studio, Apple to buy Nintendo. Uh, pardon me, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. That's like a square into a rectangle, but it's not going to happen. Like it doesn't fit just right, does it? <laughs> no, and and that I think maybe is the message. Look at the whole picture when you're looking at gaming news. You know, don't believe... And I think it's it's not just true gaming news, but we're specifically focusing on gaming. Hmm. Look at the whole picture. Look at the track record of a studio. Think about where the source is coming from. And look at other sources as well. Are they all agreeing on the same thing? You know, and then go and... I mean, if you, you could get down a huge rabbit hole at looking at all the Twitter responses and the subreddits... But it's it does cause a lot of debates, and not necessarily, as we said earlier, there's a difference between tweeting the studio and tweeting maybe a dev in the studio. Say, hey, you know, I really, I'm not really happy with this feature. Can you tell me a little bit more about how this came along? A legitimate query on social media. You can be polite. You can recognise that it's not their fault. Or, as you said earlier, you can start sending member pictures. Yep. To these game devs. Because you don't like a decision where studios made or the publishers made. And that's the problem with Twitter, I think. It's just a bunch of people in a room shouting at each other. And that's why games journalism is probably important. They ask the questions and they can do it in an environment that's safe sometimes. Absolutely. You know, our, one of our friends, Ed, is, you know, he works for Eurogamer. Um, him and his partner, uh, Ben, do the Swapping Joysticks podcast. Um, we do plan to have him on the show to talk about, you know, what it's like to do a gaming podcast and be streamers. You know, we want to talk about that because, hey, I want to learn from them. But also, you know, get another side because they'll have a different take on the journalism side. And But they also, because they've got that name, you know, as your own identity online, people say, oh, Matthew puts out a gaming news show. Oh, it's really well formatted. Yes, I will talk to Matthew about this game i'll be happy to talk to him because he's putting out reputable news and doing it in a way that is respectful and genuine yeah and being authentic that's the most serious part of it i think in fact i had a a a comment from someone that i met as a podcaster that listens to my show and he said it's the most most well-meaning game news show or something like that i think i'm paraphrasing that's out there just because i like i sit down and i like turn around the chair and move my hat backwards and sit down in front of the class and I go, look, kids, this guy's telling you that God of War Ragnarok is blah, 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 blah. Actually, this is probably what it is. This bit is my opinion. This is what I think. What do you think? You know, that kind of thing. The whole authenticity component is really important. And I will say, actually, Eurogamer is a go-to for me to for looking for articles because they are really good at keeping the news concise it's always incredibly short unless there's a lot of meat there for them to tuck into. And it's always information forward. So there's no fluff at the start. Like, I, I, I'm personally a fan of Eurogamer from my context as well. So if I can give Ed a shout out on, the, on an episode, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I think he's done a, a really big article recently about something. I will have to remember which one it is, but he did, he got a huge article. Um, so yeah, do keep an eye out for his bylines. Um, you know, so Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Where can people find your podcast? Maybe where can people uh, connect with you on, on social media if they want to? I don't, I don't know. Have you embraced Mastodon yet? I haven't. I've, uh, I've actually put myself up for that community that you mentioned at the at the top of the show. The or maybe you didn't. Might have been some pre-show chat. Sorry, audience. If that's a bit of a teaser for things you may have missed. But um, I am on Twitter. I am at Matt Bliss Pod. There's also a Twitter for my podcast at Dead Drop Pod. Not overly used. I'm kind of doing that as an A/B test for organic growth in Twitter for marketing the podcast, but. Um, I'm also in a podcaster Discord as well, and I'm in a few other Discord servers too. I would choose that over Mastodon just for the kind of audience that I target, I think. Although, admittedly, it's hard to say that on a podcast and say, come join me in the Discord server because you kind of need that link to get there. Um, but in any case, if you want to hear more about the podcast itself, uh, go to deaddroppod.com. Uh, look for it in your podcatcher. It should be available in anything that's uh, doing podcasts on the internet and on your phones or anywhere else, wherever you choose to listen. I actually haven't thought about how many devices people listen on. You'd be surprised. You know, yeah. I mean, I know someone who who uses the, uh, the Roku as their podcast player. Is that right? That's something that they need to put in the AIB tracking for uh, for podcast listens, I think devices yeah what, what yeah devices i'd never yeah that would be really interesting to see in the stats and yeah. you know it's interesting you talk it, very quick it literally came up today podcasts you know as mastodon is decentralized i really think podcasts are decentralized because you know you will host your show with a certain hosting provider but it's almost transparent it doesn't matter which player which directory people find your show from it's still your content and you're in control Josh Widdicombe, who is um, a British comedian, he works with um, one of one of your one of your lot, uh, one of your Aussies, um, Adam Hills. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes. They, they, yep. Yeah. Um, Adam, Josh, and um, Alex Brooker do the last leg. I don't. I think he's broadcast over there. He would have to be. I don't get into to much television these days. Uh, but anyway, he does a podcast, but he's just made it Spotify exclusive. I'm like. And she said, hold on a second, that's kind of not really a podcast anymore because you're locking it to a single platform. Be careful. You may be opening this podcast episode up to another hour if uh, we start talking uh, yeah, let's, about no, this. Let's not do that. We, we, did, we did have a good chat with Ariel about all of this, so go back and listen yes. to Ariel's episode. But Matthew, it really has been a pleasure. And, you know, I uh, it really is, we can we can come back another time and talk more. One of the things I love about this show is, and, and just, I don't know if you find this podcast in general, you make so many connections like, Oh, I need a guy to do this. Or I need a person to come and talk about this. Oh, I know someone because I've had them as a guest before. Let's bring them back onto the show. So thank you ever so much. No worries. It's great to be here. I love connecting with new podcasters, especially ones such as yourself. So informed well, in you. the tech industry and I'm sure your listeners as well. Um, if uh, you like the sound of my voice, feel free to head over to the dead drop and listen to some more. Absolutely. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can find us on Mastodon at crosswires at masthead.social. And if a bird site still somehow miraculously here, you can follow us there as well at CrosswiresMG. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening. 